The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 89. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard called Stardust City Rag. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, and welcome back. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Feel much better, much better this week. Not 100%, but a lot better than I did last week, that's for sure. Well, good, good. And uh, also Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Joel and True Dom. <laughs> nice. So, folks, if you can, we really appreciate it when you do share the podcast with your friends, and that helps us grow this community of Star Trek fans who are listeners. The, the podcast has been growing great lately with so many new folks we're hearing from, and we're seeing the download numbers go up. Uh, I'm sure that's attributable to uh, Star Trek Picard and the interest in that. And uh, be assured that when this season of Star Trek Picard is over, we're continuing on. We've got lots to talk about. There's so much Star Trek out there to keep talking about. And we've got some great episodes already in the can and other stuff we're planning. And of course, when other new Star Trek comes out, like Star Trek Discovery, we'll be talking about that new season. Yeah, there's there's so much out there. We're going to press on and boldly talk about what we've never boldly talked about before. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Hey, there is a little Star Trek Discovery news. Uh, I just saw this morning that they've recently, like the last last week, wrapped filming season three, uh, cool. which, which uh, is cool, but also a little uh, bummer because I'm like, oh, I want to, I was hoping that would start real soon, but I guess it's not. They said in 2020, so that could be, you know, up to December 31st. But uh, we can expect it'll that to be sooner. Coming. Yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll be sooner. I'm, I, my guess is probably like September. Summer. Mm-hmm. That's what Late I was wondering, summer. kind of more fallish. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's my guess is. Uh, so uh, that'll be here soon enough that uh, these these months roll by. So uh, that'll be fine. Um, I, I want to take some, some vacation this summer, which would be <laughs> made more difficult if we had to talk about new episodes of Discovery. Anyway. So let's talk about this episode, Stardust City Rag. Let's talk about the title. Uh, Stardust City is the name of this city that they go to um, on this planet called Free Cloud. But mm-hmm. what what's a rag? Oh, it's a type of music. Okay. It's, it's so, um, it, it like Scott Joplin was mm-hmm. an American composer famous for composing rags, which are music in ragtime. Yep. And uh, famous examples of that genre include Alexander's Ragtime Band and Maple Leaf Rag and The Entertainer and things like that. The Entertainer, by the way, was the theme music for the movie The Sting right. back yep. in the 70s. So it, that's kind of it's it's a it's a style of music that's associated with popular culture. And it's it, yep. it was considered a little shady 
at the okay. time is associated with honky tonks and things like that. So speakeasies a lot, you know, speakeasies. Because about the yeah. same time as speakeasies and things like the that. So that's really what yeah. it's associated with. Yeah. Okay. The, the so last kind of <laughs> shady entertainment, which is what they're giving us with Stardust City, I guess. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I, I said it's, it, it harkens back to the 20s, but, I, but now I have to say the 1920s as opposed to the 2020s, <laughs> which we're in now. Okay. Yeah, actually even earlier than the 20s, uh, Alexander's Ragtime Band and Alabama Jubilee and things like that were from even earlier. Okay, okay. Uh, it's an interesting choice, so maybe we could that might come up. And as you say, it's it has to do with uh, the style of the, the places that they go to. They go to essentially what sounds like a speakeasy uh mm-hmm. in this episode but we start someplace else the episode and, and, and like a speakeasy they 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 have to know you scan you clear you to enter yeah. you can't just walk in that's right that's right yep um so we we start as we have in recent episodes with flashbacks and this one flashes back not to 14 years ago to the rogue synth attack but to a year later the planet virgison the hypatia system something called the seven domes which you know seven of nine get it uh, and so we but we have this gruesome scene of this Starfleet officer getting being tortured and having his I hate this eye being, his eye being torn out by someone looking for they say looking for his cortical node. Uh did you guys recognize who this was oh, yeah. at the beginning? You got it well, right it off the bat. It took a minute. Yeah, it took yeah. a minute, but then as soon as I I'm going, okay, this is a former oh, I recognize this guy's species and then I was I found myself thinking, is this Echeb just before Seven yep. said the name? Yep. Yeah. It's it a different a actor than than played Echeb in the um in Voyager. Echeb yes. was a young Borg drone that seven of that got liberated from the collective with other Borg children and that bonded with seven of nine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, actually the third actor to play each because there was a, mm-hmm. an episode where uh, seven saw the future of Voyager or that we, we saw the future of Voyager and each right. uh, was grown. So, and yeah, so he's, uh, they can't find his cortical node because in Voyager, he donated it to seven when she needed oh, that's it. Right. Remember that? I forgot and, about that. Yeah. So, uh, and, and there was a whole thing about um, he, uh, he was on the verge of dying. Do, she was on the verge of dying. And then they wanted to know the doctor didn't know whether he could survive without it. Well, evidently he did. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, so seven comes in and blasts, you know, these people who are doing this dirty work of dismantling yeah. each of alive. I- and we should note that this is the gruesomest scene that has ever happened in the history of Star Trek. There's nothing else that's been filmed that is on this level of gruesomeness with, yeah. you know, blood and violent mm. eye stuff. I mean, even when Picard had a needle pointed at his eye in yeah. the uh, in in uh, first contact, first contact, it mm. wasn't this gruesome. Yeah, no. yeah. We, but we, as, they as, cut away. As, yeah, but as as someone who's actually had surgery on both of my eyes, this was a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, but you probably did it with anesthesia, if not knocked well, out completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, with, with anesthesia. But they do like strap your head to a board so you can't move it, and then you watch the instruments coming from your eye, and they give you a drug so that you won't remember the procedure. But they didn't give me enough. Oh, give <laughs> me nightmares! I have a hard time with them blowing the air in my eye during the museum. Mm-hmm. Never mind, <laughs> sticking something in. Anyway, uh, so uh, he is all but dead at this point. Uh, you know, he's dying. Yeah. He's not going to survive what they have done to him. 
even though, you know, Seven has come to, to save him. And he asks her to give him a, a coup de grace, to, to, a mercy killing. Um, and, and, and she says, you know, um, she says, I'm, I'm sorry, my child. And that's where you kind of get the idea. Oh, this is Echeb. Um, but what do you think about this, this, the mercy killing aspect, the, the giving him the coup de grace? Not allowed. Yeah. Morally, we would have an issue with it, but okay. yeah. yeah. I mean, humanly, it's understandable, and it's understandable Seven of Nine is not, a, is not a Christian, is not a Catholic, and so she doesn't, as far as we know, and so, you know, it, it's presumably consistent with her morality, but she obviously recognizes the tragicness of it. Um, what, you know, my mind would go to is how can we relieve Echeb's pain? Right. He's, he's right. going to die. We can't actively kill him, but we can do everything we can to make him comfortable in the remaining time. Right. So she right. had a phaser. One thing she might have done would be stun him right. because you right. could stun him into unconsciousness, even if that hastens the death. You could you I mean, that's it's permitted to use um, palliative care that will hasten death, but that is not right. itself intended to kill. Right. And so she could have stunned him. And if we want to headcanon that, we could say that's what she did. Okay. Yes. That's the, I, I prefer to headcanon that. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't want to. Uh, yeah. Uh, so this this brings me to a question like, or something that I want to uh, you know, kind of think about for this episode. This is a seven episode. This is where she she kind of she departs at the end of this episode. This is her. You know, she may come back, but. She, she will. Yeah. It, but oh, uh, yeah. for now, this is a, a seven episode. So I want to kind of talk about a little bit about what you guys think about, you know, where seven has been, uh, you know, the journey she's been on both, you know, literal, but also, um, you know, uh, moral, emotional, otherwise, uh, humanly since Voyager returned. I mean, this is, you know, almost two decades since since then. Mm -hmm. um, so Voyager's come from the Elkhorn. She's very different. Um, she's become a Fenris Ranger, which we find out in this episode are sort of um, self-appointed, uh, you know, vigilante law in the uh, right. in the lawless regions. You know, what do you think what, of that? What do you think is driving her in this quest to bring law and order to a place that doesn't have law and order? You know, what what do you what do you think about her? You know, what drove her out here? What do you think of that? Well, I, she, so her, I mean, she may have just been in the area mm -hmm. at the time the neutral zone collapsed, which created mm -hmm. the need for the Fenris Rangers. And by the way, there is a Star Trek Picard prelude novel mm -hmm. that I'm in the middle of reading right now, and it talks about how the neutral zone collapsed. And that's, it, it, by the way, this novel, the writer who's from England um, has apparently seems to have had full scripts of hmm. the entire hmm. series to work with because she has minor teeny little details, including a line of dialogue that comes up in this episode ah. that she hmm. references in the novel. It is very tightly plotted. It basically gives the backstory of 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 the Romulan recovery effort or relief effort and the politics of all of it and how it all fell apart. And Picard himself was the first one to start collapsing the neutral zone without orders. Mm. Um, and so there, if you've read the novel, there's an added shade in there when she talks about the neutral zone collapsed because <laughs> he's, he's the, 
one who struck the first blow in that. Right. Mm. Um, but then it created this need for law and order. And, you know, based on her personality, as we saw it in Voyager and based on her history as a Borg, law and order would be high on her priority list. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. She seems uh, much more relaxed. We talked. I think we might have talked about this last time. More relaxed, yep. more human, uh, at ease with the social aspects. Um, you know, she 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 jokes. She has she just the subtleties of conversation. She's a much more mature uh, seven of nine than we've seen. And she also, <laughs> as part of her re-embracing of humanity, went for a time by her human name, Annika. Yeah, right. uh, because Bejazel, whose name we hear in this opening sequence and who we later meet, right. refers to her as Annika. I kept calling her in my head Bedazzle. You know the little thing, the Bedazzler. From the- <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Just say, when you hear the, a lot of these names, I do, you know, and you don't see them, and I don't have the closed captioning on, uh, which hmm. I probably should do. I I have to try to figure out like wh- what is their name and try to write it down. Um, so I have Mister Fop. <laughs> And and bedazzle, mm-hmm. but uh, but yes, um, yeah. That she that is very clear that bedazzle sees knows her as Annika, but perhaps this moment with Echeb, she re-embraces her Borg past and re- resumes calling herself Seven. Maybe we also um, know that there's more going on in Seven's head than is immediately obvious in this scene, because mm-hmm. to, since we're going into the spoilers yeah. for this relationship, so apparently Bejazel infiltrated the, uh, the Fenris Rangers and became a Fenris Ranger in order to get close to Seven, and the they play it as if they were very close. Yeah. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, they play it as if they were in a romance. Um, mm-hmm. And then through Seven, Bejazel learned about Echeb and got Echeb and meant to get Seven, but Seven got away. Yeah. And so, so part of what's happening with Seven in the opening sequence is she is feeling torn apart by the fact that she knows that Echeb is dying because of her, because right. she let Bejazel know about Echeb. I also think it's a, it's, it's interesting. And yes, given your comments uh, about the, the, the prequel novel that the Federation, they're making clear the Federation has collapsed in itself a bit after this rogue mm-hmm. attack mm-hmm. and the things of the Romulus that it's pulling back and it's pulling, it's, it's turning inward um, right. And, and this is not the the Federation of the next gen, the shiny, happy Federation reaching outward uh, or even in DS9, where they're still, you know, bringing in the, the, the Bajorans. And it's, you know, very uh, we're still a shiny, happy Federation. This is a Federation that's finally you know, almost had enough with this rogue synth attack and is turned inward and is pulling back and right. leaving places like the Fenris and Free Cloud and these other areas. Uh, to fend for themselves, and that's and they're they're really developing pockets of the wild west, yeah. In these these systems where there is no as as there is that conversation between Picard and and Seven here in a little while in the, the episode, you know, you know, Picard's re- remonstrating against her for taking law into her own hands. He goes, "What law?" Yeah, and he yeah. says, oh. "Fair point." 
<laughs> and there's a there's a total burn there, which is if you're why well, you don't need the novel for this. But if you're watching carefully, it's it, it's such a put down um, where he's talking to her about why do you do this? And um, she talks about the need for it. And then she says, and the only thing worse than than doing this would be giving up. Yes. And it was like, because that's what you did. You did, right. you did the worst thing. You gave up. Right, right. It, but it keeps getting thrown in Picard's face this entire season. Uh, and yeah. he's just going to have to deal with it. All right, let's move forward in the in the plot of this episode. Uh, we switched to Stardust City in, on Free Cloud, and we're told it's two weeks ago, two weeks prior to you know our main character's timeline. And uh, Bejazel, who's apparently some kind of uh, mob boss, uh, you know, a gang boss, she tells her henchman... Lone, Mr. Lone, lone Shark. Lone, right, she's a Lone Shark. Uh, she tells her... Um, her henchman, Mr. Vup, uh, who's a Beta Anari reptiloid, to kill Bruce Maddox. He's, he's, one, he's one of those smelly reptiles. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, double, uh, double entendre Double there. entendre, yes. Um, she, so she tells him that to kill Bruce Maddox as he's failed to, uh, to repay his loan, but then changes her mind, and she meets with him, offers him Tranya. By the way, did you catch that? Tranya. Yep. Oh, of course. Yes. The drink from Corbin. I, I, relished, I relished the reference. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he borrowed money from her to set up a clandestine, cl- uh, clandestine lab to obviously create, uh, you know, uh, new um, androids. And uh, Saj and, uh, I mean Saj, Soji and Daj. <laughs> I've just, I've just shipped them. <laughs> uh, and, but it was destroyed. Presumably by the Zatvash? Yeah, uh, or the Tal Shiar, which right. is who he says destroyed it, but it could yeah. have been Zatvash. Um, what I wondered is the relationship between his lab and what we've hitherto heard referred to as the Nest. Yeah. Um, because I had assumed they were the same thing. But if his lab has been destroyed, that would imply that the Nest, where other scents are, would be elsewhere because right. um, otherwise the the Romulans who are after uh, Soji would have no reason to continue their efforts to get information out of her to find the nest right. if the, if the Tal Shiar had just destroyed it. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and so she decides that, you know, since the Tal Shiar are obviously looking for him, he's worth more to her alive than dead. So she drugs him, presumably so that she can then, you know, make a deal with the Tal Shiar, which apparently yeah, is... So, so she just keeps a, a, a you know, a, a carafe of spiked Tranya around with the drugs already loaded in, apparently, just as sitting you, there on her table. As you, you don't, do? Oh, I mean, no, I mean, I know nothing about that. No. <laughs> so and then we switch back to Picard uh, on Rios' ship, the La Serena, uh, in his uh, holodeck study, uh, which he's apparently having a lot of fun in. Um, and he's looking uh, at a... Uh, introductory video to free cloud shall we say it's a, which it seems to be a combination of las vegas the cayman islands Look. and switzerland but sleazier yeah yeah it's basically <laughs> space vegas it's yeah it's, it's, it's space vegas uh seven comes in to talk to him and uh they they have this discussion and uh he offers her tea or coffee and she asks for bourbon which is a, a lot of fun and it, she, they talk about her being in the fenris rangers and um, and in a way, she drinks the bourbon in one gulp. Yes. Yeah, she shoot, basically and shoots the bourbon. Yeah. And it's like, wow, okay, we yeah. are being super tough here, aren't we? Yeah. Well, well she you is. Know, you'll, 
you yeah. wonder you wonder though if, if the Borg implants will negate the effect of alcohol. Right, right. Oh, I didn't wonder about that. I wondered, is this, I did, I did relate it to her Borg background and think, okay, well, everything would be, could be about efficiency. So let's just get this in us as soon as possible and let it have its effect. It might, it might be also replicated synthahol bourbon too. Yeah, I thought of that too. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they have this discussion about the Fenris Rangers, like we talked about, and she says it's her job to help the people who are homeless. Uh, it's thankless and hard, but the only thing worse would be giving up as, as we, we said. Um, and uh, he he doesn't really react much to that. He, I think he's getting used to people throwing that in his mm-hmm. face. Um, and she's about to leave. Like, she's done. Like, she's like, okay, I did my thing. I saved you from the that old Romulan warboard, and now I'm off. And uh, he gets her to stop by, by telling her um, he's trying to help someone who has no one else to help her, meaning uh, Soji. And who will likely die otherwise, and that gets her to stop and, you know, listen to what he has to what he has to say and what he has to offer. Um, so, and then meanwhile on the bridge, we have uh, this fun scene. Well, first we have Rafi looking up information about someone named Gabriel Wang. Um, we don't know who that is yet, but she's she's looking at her screen, and uh, then she has this discussion with Rios about brings up an interesting point that both Picard and Seven are unique. They are unlike almost anyone else. They have this thing in common, which is that they are both ex-Borg that who have reintegrated into society. Seven, the ex-Borg Fenris Ranger from the Delta Quadrant and the former Locutus of Borg. And I think that's an interesting thing that they brought these two characters who have never met on screen before together in this episode to kind of, there's, there's a bit of familiarity. They, they know a little bit about each other. We get, especially mm-hmm. at the end, where they yeah. kind of talk about it. Well, there's kind of an interesting point in this conversation uh, on the bridge because he, uh, he mentions, I forgot that he was Borg. Right. He had been Borg. And a lot of the viewers did too. He's speaking for the viewers there. Yeah. Well, and you could obviously, and well, I'm taking it, you know, in universe, but, you know, implying that with everything else that Picard did after that event, it probably is not widely remembered that he had been assimilated. Right. Yeah. If if he had gone, if he had died in that encounter, that's what people would remember. He was the captain who got assimilated. But he went on for years to have a career. Yeah. Right. And it's been what thirty odd years in universe as well as in real time since yep. those events. Um. And then uh, we switch to Agnes in her quarters, watching a video of her and Bruce Maddox, which reveals to us that they were romantically involved with one another. Mm-hmm. That. Uh, there was a connection between them. I did like this I, this whole discussion about as someone who likes to cook. Um, why not just replicate? Uh, why not just replicate chocolate chip cookies instead of replicating the ingredients and making them? Which I thought was fun. I, I I loved her her naivete about not understanding how cooking works. I have to wonder if it's if it was affected naivete on on the character's part or if the character was really that ignorant of how cooking works um, where she's like, OK, so you replicate the ingredients, you mix them together and then you set them on fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I bake them. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they've played around, around with yeah. that, at least in the next gen series before. I mean, I remember there's an episode of Voyager where you're talking about that. And there's next gen. There's been an episode where one of, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Jordy or somebody did some cooking and they kind of, oh, it was Riker. He cooked eggs yeah. and they made a big deal out of that. Right. And so that's kind of been an ongoing 
thing in the next gen series at least yeah and in ds9 it was o'brien who talked about his his mom using cooking with meat real meat not that replicated stuff you know that whole thing <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and people being grossed out by it uh still would have been lab grown yes <laughs> probably uh so uh as they approach free cloud it, they, it turns out that pop-up ads still exist in the future <laughs> and they're still based on your browsing history yes exactly yeah, tailored yeah. to their particular interests which i think so rios gets a mechanic for his ship picard gets an invitation to high tea Agnes gets an invitation to a robotic boxing match. Robots, you know, the whole because she's thing. an artificial synthetic life person. Yep. yep. And Ralphie gets an invitation to a snakeweed den, which is like kind of ow, you know, ouch, you know. That's, yeah. You didn't. You didn't use private mode on your browsing history, what? apparently. Uh, and Elnor gets, a... doesn't get one because yeah. he's got no browsing history. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's unknown. Well, uh, I got a kick out of the one for. Uh, for Rios, because it was, you know, your, your engines are only operating at 91% efficiency. And of course, immediately think of LaForge, who would be, you know, throwing a fit if the Enterprise's <laughs> engines were only at 91% efficiency. Yeah. And less, anything less than 99. Um, so very interesting. So uh, I have to mention, we did we did get a, a bit of feedback <laughs> after the uh, this uh, last week's episode where a fan, uh, you know, a listener um, asked us uh, quite Quite fervently to to start using Elnor's real name instead of calling him <laughs> Space Legolas or Elrond. But uh, you know, we'll but, see how that works out. Yeah, we'll I see. appreciate I appreciate the sentiment. We'll see how it works out. <laughs> right. Uh, I guarantee that in honor of this request, I will at least part of the time refer to him as Elnor. <laughs> right. The uh, actor I saw an interview with him where he uh, he talked about uh, that people immediately started calling him Space Legolas, and he thought that was really cool that he's so he's okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so meanwhile, uh, so after this amusing little interlude with the uh, pop up ads, Ralphie says she found Maddox. And uh, that uh, Bejazel is holding him and looking for someone to broker a deal with a Tal Shiar. I think she looked on, you know, Free Cloud's Craigslist uh, of the future <laughs> or, or Dark Web. But, but basically, it, it was kind of like a want ad for people who were uh, intermediaries. Right. Be, you know, go-betweens. So. Yeah, there's this whole interesting uh, uh, profession that they, they re- becomes a big part of this episode of people who are intermediaries that just connect different people to get deals done. Yeah, and it's really a minimal function because <laughs> yes. because all they do is is arrange the introduction. They don't do the negotiations right. for you. And well, they, they, yeah, they call that, them facers for interfacers. Right. Yeah, that, that that really hard for me. I mean, what? Why would you need that as right. a, as a function? I can understand a finder you know, who finds the deal for you. I can understand a negotiator who handles negotiations for you, but I don't understand a a person that is just a messenger to say hi and let's set a meeting. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's an odd little job, but apparently there's something for everyone. So that they come up with the plan, which seven says she knows that Bajazel um, likes, likes to trade in Borg parts. She butchers eggs for parts. Why? Why? 
clearly Borg parts have a have economic value because the Romulans are stripping them out of the nameless on yep. back on the cube. Um, why do these why do people want Borg artifacts? Um, and I mean, I can understand you could say, OK, well, we need a subset of them so we can study them and develop new technologies based on them. But then you don't need a hundred thousand ocular implants or a hundred thousand cortical nodes. Once right. you've got a cortical node right. and an ocular implant, you can do your study. So clearly someone would want to be using these things for something. But what? I wouldn't want a Borg thing put in my body. Right. Because you don't want the Borg, a Borg cube to show up and start to assimilate you from the inside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know why these things have economic value. I can, I can see it, though, as, you know, like the transhumanist type movement where they're studying them and tearing them apart so that they can redevelop the technology for themselves and become yeah, stronger. Maybe they're not putting the actual yeah. device in. But then you don't need a bazillion copies wow. of basically the same nodes. I mean, once you've mm -hmm. got your eye, once you've secretly bought your iPhone, you know, you can tear it apart and study it. I mean, maybe you need 10 iPhones, but but it's, you, it's you a don't big, need big, to big keep universe. buying them. Yeah, maybe the they can't. Universe. Maybe there isn't a way to replicate the Borg tech. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't mm. know. They'll, hopefully they'll explain it. I don't know if they will, but hopefully there'll be more about this uh, in the season. Um, I have to say one thing about Bajazel. Oh, oh. oh, go ahead. I, I did a part of, I wondered, the earliest we've seen anybody taking Borg implants for economic purposes is in the Icheb flashback. So 13 years ago, yeah. which as you noted, Dom, is a year after the synth attack. Right. I'm wondering if it was the synth attack that caused Borg implants to gain economic value. Oh. The fact that the synths were now banned led mm -hmm. people to turn to Borg technology as an alternative uh, in whatever value they have. That's a good point. That's a no, good that point. makes sense. Yeah. So I was going to say about Bejazel, the the choice of actress was very confusing at first because I'm thinking, What's Marina Sirtis doing in this role? Deanna yeah, Troy looks a lot like younger Marina Sirtis. I mean, yeah, I mean it was it was freakily like is that that can't be her because she's much older than that now. It was very very strange for me, but uh, okay. Uh, I was I've seen Marina Sirtis too much in recent years to have that go through my head. It's I was it's always is clearly a different woman to me. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, they. They we we kind of jump back and forth in time between the it, like it's classic um, heist movie style uh, filmmaking yeah. where we jump back and forth between the prep for the heist and the heist itself. Uh, it makes sense because it would be boring to do all the explanation up front. But uh, so we have Rios beaming down to start a city wearing this as, as a pimp, <laughs> this amazing yeah, exactly. pimp hat with a big feather. Um, now, when he beams down, uh, did you catch the Easter eggs in the background? There's oh, yeah. a couple of them. Yep. He beams down in front of Quark's bar. Quark's what's bar. Yours is ours. Well, did you? And then there was the other one. Mr. Mr. Mott's, Mott's Hair Emporium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was the bullion barber on the Enterprise D, which I thought was awesome. Now he's he's made good for himself in uh, his post-Enterprise, post-Starfleet career. And Quark really has, too, because when they orally name check him in a little bit he's mr yeah. quark of Ferenginar, so he's apparently yep. moved back to Ferenginar, which he would given that his brother is grand nagus yeah 
Yep. That's where the business opportunities are going to be is where your brother is based. <laughs> right. And he's then franchised his bar um, yep. so that it's here on it's here on uh, free cloud and presumably bunches of other places in the galaxy. Yes. Yes. I do like the idea of a, of a quirk franchise. <laughs> so um, so Rios is undercover as a as a, uh, a facer who's sort of like a fixer um, and Picard dresses up as a pirate or <laughs> he's got Biker an eye pirate yeah he's got an eye patch and uh um for very french biker pirate he's oh also got gosh. a beret and an over-the-top comic french accent it is a great comic like i look sinister <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> it's, it's sort of a, a throw uh you know throw a bow to all those people over the years who've complained that this french captain has this this british accent <laughs> it doesn't sound yeah. at all french uh well so we know that so french is a, a, a derelict language it's an ancient language that's no longer spoken so except that his brother <laughs> yeah. i mean it, and it could be that you know knowledge of french is diminished or i suspect not i suspect it's still spoken um but i also suspect it's because federation standard is clearly a, a dialect of english because when they yeah. go back in time, they have no problem speaking to people right. in English. Um, but one phenomenon that I have long noted is that um, when you when people who are native speakers of other languages learn English, they pick up the accent of the place they learned it. Correct. So I so, you know, when I see people from Europe who have learned English, they tend to speak it with a British accent. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and and so as a French speaker, he's it's right across the channel from England. Yeah. Uh, he would learn English with an English accent. That's entirely right. plausible to me. Right. It's well, like, in it's, fact, yeah, I, have, I have a friend from Southeast Asia and yeah. she and her brother uh, went to college in America, but he went up north and she went down south and so mm. she speaks american she speaks english with a southern accent right and okay. he speaks english with a northern well, american accent well, i was gonna say for a long time you know any immigrants from india who would come over to the united states they would speak with a very british accent because of course they had learned it from the british colonizers right. yeah before india became separate now you don't see that so much anymore but that for a long time that was that's still kind of a holdover now, one thing that I had a little bit of trouble with, and I ultimately decided I, I can go with it just fine, but uh, and enjoy it, but the over the topness of these costumes, right? You know, it does tend to pop you out of the narrative a little bit to see, and with Picard and his ridiculous accent, which is deliberately ridiculous. Um, but notice there are also his disguise has elements that um, that kind of are good ideas um he he's you know you can't see his full head his full bald head he's got a hat on mm -hmm. he's one of his eyes is covered they've added a scar and he's speaking to his cheek and they're uh he's speaking in a different way than normal and actually all of those are good things for purposes of disguising him he also does things like refer to mr vup later on as mr your mr vip <laughs> and which is just going that's a nice distraction to get people thinking about stuff uh, you know it that's irrelevant right um so i was actually pleased with this um but it does it popped me out of the narrative for a minute to have them strutting around in these ridiculous costumes taking on other attitudes but then as uh as um uh rafi 
points out, this is protective coloring for interfacers. They want to stand out. They want yes. in a dangerous negotiation. They want everybody to know I'm not on either side here. Correct. By visually looking different than people on either side. It, it's a culture that's really developed in the interfacer community, if you will. Right. To be over the top and just bombastic like that. And then uh, Ravi tells Rios that he's going to need to drop his brooding existentialist spaceman routine, which I, <laughs> I thought yeah. was fun. And uh, make I you, know, I, I, you really, really need to sell this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, and we, we find out that uh, the Beta Anari, which Mr. Vup is, um, can There's smell when you're lying. Such smelly reptiles. Yes. Yeah. They, they yes. can they can smell your lying, so you really have to sell it. Um, uh, how, uh, how does your reptile smell? <laughs> Great! <laughs> so, uh, um, Eldor, at this point, you know, realizes... Cause, so, Eldor has this childlike naivete that, that he, because he's only grown up in this uh, backwater planet among uh, these religious order women, uh, you know, Romulan religious women, and who are committed to telling the truth no matter how painful at all times. Right. Absolute yep. candor. And so he kind of suddenly realizes everyone is lying by pretending to be someone else he's, he's with glee. And then he's it's then he realizes Yeah. Then he realizes <laughs> he doesn't have a lie to you know to pretend. And because he can't be anyone but himself. So he's he kind of says glumly. Um and and it's very interesting because he's got this childlike naivete. Yet in combat or in a dangerous situation, he becomes extremely confident. You know, he's mm -hmm. very capable, which is actually almost more dangerous because he's so naive. Yes. You know, you, so, you underestimate. Oh, he's just he's just kind of a fool. He's just, you know, he doesn't know what's right. going on. All of a sudden, oh, maybe not. But he's almost more dangerous to himself as well, because maybe he doesn't know his limitations because of mm -hmm. this confidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's an interesting character. It, it's an interesting sequence in the dialogue as they explore this thread, because it starts when they're talking about Rios being an, an interfacer. And there's a moment early on in the conversation where Elnor looks at him and says, are you a facer? And and everybody just glides past that. And right. um, because he's like been enrolled now in the Facers Guild and 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 they talk about that. Um, but then he realizes it's a lie. Everyone's <laughs> pretending to be someone that they're not except me. <laughs> and then he tries to come up with a persona for himself and he like spreads his arms out and assumes what sounds to me like a South American accent and says, Aguardiente, which is, is like, how does he even know that word? <laughs> I didn't. I had to look it up. I mean, I could tell based on its roots that it's like hard water. It's it's yeah. apparently a kind of liquor. Okay. Um, Rios ordered it uh, the first episode that we see him. So you oh. can imagine he's ordering it throughout. Okay. That's, that's his drink of choice. It's kind of a it's it's kind of a, a anise flavored alcohol. Yeah. Okay. And and but then he realizes this isn't working, and he says, "I can't be anybody but Elner." And Picard says, "Then be Elner." And Seven adds, "And Elner who doesn't talk." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that was a good line. It's funny because that's it, not long ago that would have been Seven. Seven couldn't you had mm -hmm. absolute candor and couldn't tell. She knows where Elnor is uh, in this case. She in some episodes of Voyager, she was precisely in that situation. So 
while the rest of them are off doing this, let's call it a heist. It's not really, it's not the same thing, but it, you know, they're off uh, with their, their, uh, their sting. It's, it's totally a heist. They're planning on getting Bruce Maddox and oh, not yeah. giving them seven for reals. Right. I guess that is a heist. Yep. Uh, but mm-hmm. Rafi's not going. She's leaving the ship. She's going off on her own looking for this Gabriel Wang. Turns out, so she's at this uh, Stardust City Reproductive Health Services Free Cloud Family Planning. It's called. Um, yeah, why can't they just call it a doctor's it, office? <laughs> well, it. I don't. I, it, re, reproductive health is just nails on a chalkboard. Yes, as a term. Yes. But yeah, exactly. They they actually seem to be oriented towards helping people reproduce, <laughs> as opposed to yeah. It felt like. A little bit of contemporary politics nosing its way in. I have the a feeling very that was, it was a conscious choice to use the terms reproductive health. And yeah, usually the yeah usually these terms mean the opposite. In any yeah. case, um, it turns out that Gabriel Wang is Rafi's son, who has a a, a a a child on the way with his yeah. wife. Yeah, uh, and played and by the way reason- by. Played by the way by Mason Gooding, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. Oh, you oh. look familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you were gonna say Jimmy? Oh, also, there's a special reason why he would need extra reproductive help because w- when we meet his wife, Pell, she's a Romulan. Yes. So interspecies b- breeding is presumably going to require some additional assistance. Yes, yes, as we've seen in uh, with Spock. Uh, so she kind of presents herself to him as, you know, we, we kind of get this idea from from her that she's a former addict, uh, you know, as we know, who wasn't there for him and his father. And she abandoned him for her crackpot theories, quote unquote, of a conspiracy behind the Mars attack and how she ignored them in order to pursue her theories to her own yeah. destruction. And and this is all in the as is the relationship between Agnes Gerardi and Bruce Maddox. This is all in the in the prequel novel. Um, okay. In fact, they have a Peldar Joy ceremony from Bajor mm-hmm. in the novel where they write their their worries down and then consign them to the flames. And what um, and when we meet Gabe as a little boy in the novel. Um, but then his uh, Rafi. In the Peldar Joy ceremony, she's committed to this rescue mission, even though it's going to mean months and months and months away from her family. And she writes down losing my boy. And that's what she consigns to the flames. Okay, Mm. interesting. Yeah, because even before the crackpot theories was that her commitment to this mission of saving Romulan, uh, the Romulans. Um, so, and, and, and it's interesting. I mean, she's, this is a great scene Mm because she shows up, you see her hesitate before, saying hello then she says hello in a friendly way and she's she's trying to make this work she's trying so hard to to make this work with her son and she's like i'm clean i'm i feel good i'm rebuilding my life and he says at at one time i would have loved to hear that and then he goes for the jugular and yeah. he knows exactly what's going to set her off and cause her to fall back into pre-existing patterns that will allow him to justify walking away from this new relationship, which is what he wants to do. And he says, you know, so tell me how that wasn't a conspiracy on Mars. And there is the moment she loses it and insists it was a conspiracy. And in the course of goading her into talking about the conspiracy. One of the things he says is very interesting. He says, tell me about the conclave of eight. Mm. 
Yeah. And this is the first time we've heard of the Conclave of Eight. So apparently they were behind the um, the synth attack. My guess is it involves both Romulan and Federation elements. Right. 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 Maybe Section 31, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very. Yes. And then so he it, this scene felt very raw and real. I think anyone who's dealt with anyone in who has dealt with addiction and been in, you know, had a relationship with them of any sort recognizes the truth in this is how often an addict can um i'm 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 clean i'm back and how hard it is perhaps to trust because perhaps i've heard this before and seen you know been burned by that and and so it's a very raw and real uh, moment here for rafi and this also explains why she agreed finally agreed to come with picard once she knew that maddox was on free cloud so uh she would you know she had this hope that she could and the fact is is rafi clean i mean it was only just a couple episodes ago where we we saw her smoking snake weed uh with when picard first came to see her well so that was apparently two weeks ago based on what they established Mm -hmm. um in the timeline with bruce maddox arriving on free cloud um because he needed to be there for Rafi to find him. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, he could have been there earlier, but it could be that she's been clean for as much as two weeks, which is right. not a lot. Right. No. <laughs> but so, space she, travel she, takes two weeks instead of like an instant blink of the eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she she also, uh, though, does acknowledge I'm I'm starting. I'm have, I'm have I forget the phrase she uses, but it's like I'm starting right. to get my life back together. So she acknowledges that. This is a new thing for her. Right. So and then he completely rejects her, won't forgive her and walks off, walks away from her. I like how he saves face in front of, for his mom in front of his wife mm-hmm. where, you know, he says, this is my mother, Raffaella. And I like having her full name. I've, I've Rafi is like, where does that come from? Oh, <laughs> Raffaella. OK, that makes yeah. sense. Which incidentally is is a, a variant uh, as it's female variant on the Hebrew name for God heals. Interesting. Raphael point to make. Yeah. But um, but he saves face for her in front of his wife by just saying, hey, this is my mom, Raffaella. She's just dropping by. She has to be moving on. And he he and it, it he he's not he's outwardly polite to his mom in front of his wife. And mm. that's nice. Interesting. By the way, uh, the fact that Raffaella means God heals um, I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't put it past Michael Shabin doing that intentionally. He he's Jewish and knows Judaism. Well, he's I've, I've read a novel where the main character was a Jewish medieval Jewish uh, itinerant soldier, which is a really good. Good book. Uh, but um, so he knows what he's doing. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he knows if he did that intentionally. So it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Um, so back on the ship. Uh, Agnes didn't get to go along because she would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, <laughs> uh, even more than, than Elmore. Elmore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, she's hyperventilating over her responsibility to beam them out when the time comes, when the EMH appears and <laughs> please state the nature of the psychiatric emergency, he says to her. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Cause she's obviously uh, having a psychiatric, well, which may turn out to have, uh, perhaps be more than just her problem at this moment about, Right. The overall thing that's going on here, because we'll see this again. 
Right. Um, she she it's not just she's nervous about using the transporter, but we don't know that yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have this encounter where uh, they've brought seven uh, in cuffs. Uh, the the uh, the the Chewbacca Wookie cuffs that don't really fit. You know what I mean? The ones that come right off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they bring her before Bajazel as to offer and trade, and that's the things start to go sideways because it turns out Seven and Bajazel actually know each other personally, as we said. Yeah. I love how Picard in his pirate biker persona talks about Seven. It's it's more great misdirection, but there's mm-hmm. so many layers to it because he's like. Once the Borg gets in them, they never come back. She is defiled. Is she? You know, she was right. a young girl. <laughs> she, what she says in French, and she's rotten to the core. And and it's like, dude, you were Borg too, right? And so imagine yeah. what it would be like for him to be saying that, and her to be hearing that, and what that would mean to both of them. Right. Mm. It, he. There's probably some truth, deeper truth in Picard. About this, you know, that where as, he, he well, thinks that we find out at the end. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then this is where uh, Seven specifically says that the Starfleet officer that was the ex-Borg is Echeb, the closest thing she had to family, which is true. There was a mother-son relationship there. Um, Picard in Rios tried to convince Seven to let Bejazel live in exchange for Maddox and the rest of them to get away. Because they know if she just shoots Bejazel here then all of Bejazel's henchmen will gun them all down. So this now they've got some leverage to get out with the gun in Bejazel's face. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, we should talk for just a second about how the reveal on this happens mm-hmm. uh, because they've, as once they've got uh, seven in front of Bejazel and she gets out of the useless handcuffs and grabs Bejazel by the throat, right. which is her initial. And she's got those Borg implants in her hand that we've established. She could totally crush the life out of her at this moment. And they right. use that to disarm everybody. But as soon as that happens, Picard is like going, this is not the plan. And he flips up his eye patch and says, what is going on here? And she and and Seven says, I have not been entirely candid with you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Elnor at this point leans in and says, "Are we still pretending?" Because Picard has just flipped up the eye patch that was yeah, part of his disguise yeah. and yeah. dropped the phony French accent, and um, and so Elnor picks up on he's not pretending anymore. Yeah. Are we still pretending? It's like. No, I think we finally all stopped, which is a nice <laughs> dig at Seven. Yes, yes, because apparently Seven has had a, like like a lot of people so far, a uh, their own agenda <laughs> and mm-hmm. as things happen. And so everyone's got their own little agenda that they're working. Um, and so they, they go through this, this discussion. There's a lot of talk. We've talked some of this about how... Um, uh, seven and Bejazel had this relationship before, and she used seven to get to, to Echeb and so on and so forth. Yeah. And long, uh, long, long story short, yeah. the uh, with Rios pointing out the realities of the situation, if seven kills Bejazel right now, it's going to put a bounty on all of their heads. And he says he doesn't care, but the old man and the kid, meaning Picard and Elrond. Um, won't stand a chance out here. Right. So, you know, you can come back and find, you found her once, you can find her again, uh, but get out of here now if you right. don't want these other people hurt. And Seven agrees to that. 
Right. And because there'd be bounties on their heads as well. That's the other thing is they'd be on the run and would never survive. And so they all beam back up with Maddox to uh, to the La Serena. And then Seven uh, says, OK, well, I'm leaving and I'm taking these two phaser rifles with me. And uh, and which was it snagged me because it's like, well, those aren't Picards to give away. Those belong to Rios. Yeah. Um, and I well, think but Picard it, has kind of taken initiative to <laughs> take command anyways. So that's this is completely within character. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we then have this great interaction. Yes. And I think Picard realizes what Seven is about to do with those phaser rifles. That she's just going to go right back down and kill Bejazel. Right. Um, I don't know that he realizes that fully. He, I think he at least suspects it. But he's also thinking, because she says, well, the Fenris Rangers have sent a Corsair for me. It should be here by now. I can just go get on that. But if she's going to beam down to the planet to hook up with the Corsair, then she could need protection down there. So I think maybe he's rationalizing her need for the phasers that way. But we get this great dialogue between them where uh, Seven kind of drops the jaunty persona that she has Mm -hmm. been effecting and says, Picard, after your time with the collective, do you feel you recap you regained your humanity? And he says, yes, all of it. No. And that's a, an amazing admission. And it's the kind of thing that he would, you know, it makes total sense for him to admit to her, but not other people. And and but then he says, but I think we're both working on it every day. Right. Every day mm-hmm. of my life, which, you know, it, again, it's, it's the language of addiction or recovery mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. we have. There. It's, it's also another way of saying, please don't go kill Bejazel now. Right. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> she beams back down, uh, confronts Be- uh, Bejazel, says uh, uh, he was a son to me, Jay. This is for him. And then vaporizes Bejazel. And then um, yeah. she said, you know, she tells her, I didn't kill you before because I wanted Picard to still have hope that there's still mercy in the galaxy. Because he'd been saying revenge is not the answer. But then she comes down and kills her because, of course, revenge is totally the answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. As we found out in the Wrath of Khan. So, uh, so and then uh, we have the Terminator scene of her fighting her way out of the, yes, the secondary she, uh, security forces. And, of course, she'll, she'll get out just fine. And uh, so then we're back oh, to the... She also gave Picard her space card for the future. Oh, yes, yes. So whenever you yep. need me, just, uh, you know, show this and I'll be there. Um, so, uh, we get back to La Serena and Maddox is now in the sick bay where very badly off. Uh, He's in critical condition. Uh, Picard and Maddox talk about Dodge and Soji. He, um, he says he sent them out to find the truth that the Zatvash are hiding. He thinks the Federation is involved in hiding this truth too. Um, uh, he also said he knew that Dodge was dead because the mom AI activated. Right. Right. So, so we that, know now that mom does not really exist. OK. We yes. We back now. Um, we find out that Rafi is back aboard as a quote unquote stowaway. Uh, at this point, she's come back to join them after being rejected by her son. And then we have Agnes and Bruce alone in sick bay where they talk. Um, he, he tells well, her that her- for, at, at, at first Picard is there and yep. and is getting all this vital plot driving information out of uh Maddox. Meanwhile, uh Agnes is standing there with her back to them. Mm-hmm. And just from the back of your head, you can tell she's turning all conspiratorial. Right. 
Right. Um, he tells her that her contribution to the creation of Dodge and Soji was essential. And she says it's one more thing she has to atone for before she kills him. And, and she says, I, I wish you knew what I know. I wish I hadn't seen what they showed me, which I'm presuming is Commodore O. Yeah. About the road yes. since, maybe? Yeah. Or about the board? Yep. Something, yeah. lo- something along those lines. We'll have to find out. But as predicted, Agnes totally goes traitor. And <laughs> you could just tell, even yep. in this scene early, she's just standing there with her back to them trading. Right. And yeah. and then as soon as Picard's gone, she comes over and she turns off the life support and Maddox dies rem- way too fast. Right. Um, and also he gets these colored veins popping out on his face way too fast. And that's not really believable. Um, and even though they could rush in and revive him at the beginning of next episode, we do hear a flatline sound. Right. Because yep. his heart's going crazy and then it flatlines. We also have um, the EMH show up because she's panicking again. She's having another panic attack as she does this. And uh, and he shows up and says, what's the nature of the psychological emergency? And then he realizes this guy is dying. What's the nature of the medical emergency? And I'm kind of, and she and she deactivates him. Yeah. And this is all a little implausible to me because he should have been there the whole time. Right. If right. there's a patient being cared for, he should have been on. Because no one there and, is a medical doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agnes is not a doctor. Yeah. Not a, oh, actually, no, wait. The novel establishes she is a medical doctor. Oh. Um, before she got into cybernetics. Um, but, uh, but still, well, so, okay, I guess that does rationalize it, but you gotta, you gotta read the spinoff media to know that yeah. it's not established in the episode that she's a medical doctor. Right. Uh, and but that would also let her override the, um, the, the EMH. EMH because since it's an mm-hmm. emergency program, right. Someone with actual medical credentials could say, you bother me, go away. I'm dealing with this. But it would, mm-hmm. it would be in the. This, the the records that she did this, so I'm presuming that this comes up at some point that they confront uh, her. Either that, or she's used her cybernetic stuff to 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 sanitize the records. I I will have to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd like to see consequences. I don't want to just to. Like, oh, I'm sure there will be consequences. Yeah, it's just will she get away with it for a while before the yeah. chickens come home. At, at some point, at some point, they're going to have the big disclosure of how she's yes. turned traitor on them and everything she's done to do it. And I'm sure we'll see more traitor traitoring going on before we get to that. Right. A mole in their midst. Derek the Romulan. He's still got his appointment with traitoring. That's right. That's right. Are right, any uh, other things to say about this episode? Um, um, just one small thing. Uh, right before seven beams to destroy Jay. Uh, you can hear the Voyager theme playing in the background just yeah, slightly. Yeah. Yep. That, they do a nice job with the music in this series. I, I like it. Uh, Jimmy? So when we come into the bar scene, and, you know, this is post-Star Wars 1977, so sci-fi <laughs> movie, we need a big space bar scene. But I just had a reaction to watching these people in this bar, and it's it's a little depressing to me. Um, they've got all this glamour and glitz and technology and they're, and they're, you know, they're hanging out in this depraved environment. Mm -hmm. Um, and like you have the guy, I mean, this is not a family pub, right? You know, this is, this is space Vegas. And, and you got like this one guy walking around with 
phony angel wings and it's like uh, holographic angel wings. And right. it's like, okay, that's, this is a deliberate irony. You're not really <laughs> pretending to be on the side of the angels here. Um, and I just thought this bar is just filled with the soulless, soulless minions of unorthodoxy <laughs> and to use a bend a deep space line nine. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, I just found that, you know, depressing to see yeah. what these people with all their technological civilization are actually doing with their lives. Um, I also, though, liked that uh, Rafi knows Quark. Because when Mr. Vop comes back to uh, Rios, he says, your reference is checked out. Mr. Yes. Quark of Ferenginar was pleased with how you handled the Breen. And then Chris Rios mispronounces the word Fufara. But um, the implication is Mr. Vop has just been in contact with Mr. Quark of Ferenginar. And since this is a legend. This background is a legend that Rafi has just created. None of this really happened. That means Rafi must know Quark and know him mm -hmm. well enough to get him to probably with a payment <laughs> right. to, um, well, of course. to, to lie in Rios's favor and say, Oh yeah, he totally took care of those Breen for me. That's true. That's true. So maybe Rafi served at DS nine for a while. <laughs> maybe <Yeah. laughs> that's good. Um, all right. So that's uh, Stardust City Rag. Uh, before we uh, close things out and look forward to next week, I, I do have a bit of feedback from last time. Uh, Kelly Brown writes on Facebook. She says, I enjoyed this episode. I, I loved Rafi's line about Picard being unable to take a guilt trip without a starship. Uh, we did too. The warrior nuns were interesting. In the flashback scene where the Mother Superior tells Elno that a promise is a prison, I found it especially moving knowing that what was going to happen. In a way, when Picard sequestered himself in his chateau after his resignation from Starfleet, he was serving his time for breaking the promise he made to the Romulans and still living in that metaphorical prison as he deals with the fallout from his inaction. I think it was interesting. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. uh, that, that promise that Picard made to the Romulans became his prison that he's still living in um concerning the uh the ex-tel shiar still living in his chateau if the super secret romulan jadvash are still active on earth as it seems they're probably being attacked constantly and i can imagine picard checking up on them well admiral this is the fourth time this week they've attacked the last one got bitten by number one hope you're not too attached to the rug in your study there's green blood everywhere <laughs> <laughs> that would be a funny uh a little call home and she's and then she says the she one complaint she has is that super creepy overtones, sexual overtones between um, Derek, the Romulan and uh, his sister, his sister, yeah. his sister, uh, Drusilla. Yeah. And the only thing that uh, that character's purpose seems to only be creepy, which is true. I'd, I'd like to see that character have more something to do besides just walk around being creepy to her brother. Uh, that That's a good point. Uh, mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Kelly. We appreciate that. Oh, one other thing I, I meant to mention. So I mentioned that the novel has tie-ins to even just little bits of dialogue. And one of them showed up in this episode. That's in the scene where um, where Maddox is talking to Agnes and he says that about Dodge and Soji that that he was able to to get it to work, that he created these perfectly imperfect androids mm -hmm. and they need to be perfectly imperfect to fit in with humans because if they're just perfect they're, they're going to be in the uncanny valley <laughs> yeah yeah 
They need to be perfectly imperfect to really pass as humans. And that line is established in the novel as one of Maddox's goals to create perfectly imperfect androids. And that suggests to me that either the author of the novel had an extremely extensive background document to work from or actually full scripts so she could lift little lines of dialogue like that. Mm, Interesting. All right, so let's wrap things up uh, by taking a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Jack D., James D., Renee J., Daryl F., and Frank L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So what do you think of Stardust City Rag? Uh, did you enjoy it? Do you have questions? Do you have theories? We'd love to hear them. So let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time. We'll be discussing the next episode called The Impossible Box. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, Live Long and Prosper, and Jolan True, which I have established, I checked, and it is used both as a greeting and a farewell. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, murder is not justice. There is no solace in revenge.